Great to see you guys today. Thanks for being here or checking us out online. My name is Steve Murphy, one of the ministers here at Discover. We're going to be in our Bibles in Genesis chapter 22. So if you want to go ahead and turn there, um, we'll get there in a few minutes. You can either have a printed Bible or electronic, whatever. Um, As long as you have the Word of God with you, we really encourage you to do that. Um, I want to start with a story that's honestly more thought-provoking than it is funny, but you're welcome to laugh at the end if you'd like. So there are these two friends, um, Frank and Al. And uh, they were fishing. Now, Al um, was a little more experienced than Frank, but they were both good fishermen. So they're fishing, and every time Al caught a big fish, he took it and he put it in his cooler. Every time Frank caught a big fish, he looked at it, he threw it back. And Al thought this was kind of odd, but it just kept happening over and over. And so finally, Al said, okay, Frank, you got to tell me what's going on. Why do you keep throwing back the big fish? And Frank said, well, I only have a small frying pan. I think sometimes as followers of Jesus, we bring God our little frying pan. And we say, okay, give me something small. But what if individually, what if as a church, God wants to do something greater than what we expect? In our Shadows series, We've seen Jesus overshadowing the story of Adam and Eve, the story of Noah and his family. And today we're going to see Jesus and how he weaves into the story of three people, Abraham and Sarah and Isaac. Abraham was originally called Abram and Sarah was originally called Sarai. And God came to him, Abraham. And, or Abram, actually, and he said to him in Genesis chapter 12, I want you to go from your country, leave your people, your father's household, and go to this place that I'm going to show you. Now, Abram is 75 years old. Sarai is 65 years old. They have no kids. But they, they take uh, their servants and all of their stuff that they can take with them, and they say, yes, we'll do that, God. Now, if you go on just a few years forward. Genesis chapter 15, God tells Abraham, Abram that his descendants are going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky. Only problem is he still has no kids. Genesis 16, Abram is now 85, Sarah is 75. Still no kids. Now, As people sometimes do, they thought, you know, God, if this thing about descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky is going to happen, we probably should get started on that pretty soon, don't you think? And so, as, again, people sometimes do, and unfortunately sometimes do, they decided to help God along with his plan. So Sarai says, okay, Abram, I want you to take my maidservant, Hagar, and I want you to sleep with her. And they weren't sleeping, okay? So um, Abram says, okay. And uh, this, like, produces Ishmael, their uh, son. Now, this is this weird for us on all kinds of levels, right? And it actually is like human rights violations are going on here. I mean, this is like messed up. And this is not what God's plan was. But one of the really cool things about the Bible is it doesn't gloss over humanity's bad ideas. It simply reports them. 
as reality. And so uh, Ishmael is born. And were all of those relationships now suddenly great? No. All those relationships were messed up. Surprise. Well, as the story continues, God's plan begins to unfold. Genesis chapter 18. The Lord said, I will come back to you in about a year's time, and your wife Sarah will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance of the tent behind him. Abraham and Sarah were getting old and getting on in years. Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. Do you think? <laughs> so she laughed to herself. After I am worn out and my Lord is old, will I have delight? In other words, is it possible that I would have a kid when I'm this old? And he's, this guy's older than I am. But the Lord asked Abraham, why does Sarah laugh saying, can I really have a baby when I'm old? Is anything impossible for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will come back to you. And in about a year, she will have a son. And she did. And this son, his name is Isaac. And what's really interesting, this is where we begin to see Jesus really specifically interwoven. It's when we look at the life of Isaac and the life of Jesus and just some of the things that they have in common. For example, Isaac and Jesus were both miraculous, promised births. We just read about Isaac's promised, miraculous birth. In the case of Jesus, it's the story we hear each Christmas season, right? In Luke 1, an angel appears to Mary, a young woman, and the angel says, Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary asked the angel, How can this be since I have not had sexual relations with a man? The angel replied to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And consider your relative Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month for her who was called childless. For nothing will be impossible with God. The humanly impossible birth of Isaac and the completely impossible birth of Jesus were completely possible because of God. Isaac and Jesus were both named by God. Isaac's name means laughter because Sarah laughed with doubt when God said he would be born. And later, after he is born, she laughs again, this time with joy. In Matthew chapter 1, an angel appears to Joseph, Mary's fiancé. He says, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus is the Greek form of the word Joshua, or Yeshua, which means God will save. Both of them named by God. Isaac and Jesus were also rejected by their family, by their brothers. Isaac was made fun of in Genesis chapter 21 by his half-brother Ishmael. Remember, that relationship was never good. In Mark chapter 3, Jesus' brothers and mother come and they're trying to get him out of the spotlight because honestly, they think he has lost his mind. That's what the Bible tells us. Isaac and Jesus were both beloved sons. 
In Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, God's voice speaks from heaven at the baptism of Jesus where he says, this is my son whom I love. And that brings us to Genesis chapter 22, the story that we're going to read today. Isaac is also a beloved son. And this is a faith-stretching story, not only for Abraham and for Isaac, but boy, it, it challenges our faith as well. So we're going to read it together, Genesis chapter 22, starting in verse 2. Then God said, take your son, he's talking to Abraham, take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, to go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain, I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son, Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship you and then, notice what it says, we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and asked to his father, Abraham, Father? Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up. And there in a thicket, he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. There is so much to unpack in this story, more than we have time for this morning, obviously. So I really encourage you to, to dig into it yourself and see what God might be saying to you from it. But I think... As a father, uh, for me, I, I get a little more insight into what Abraham must have been thinking when we read what it says in Hebrews 11 about this situation. It reads, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. He received the promises, and yet he was offering his one and only son, the one to whom it had been said, Your offspring will be traced through Isaac. He considered God to be able even to raise someone from the dead. Therefore, he received him back figuratively speaking. So Abraham, when it says, when he told the servants, we will come back, he was tro totally believing that God would be able to raise his son Isaac from the dead. He was believing that this son who was miraculously given life would be given life miraculously once again. And there is no history of anyone being resurrected in the Bible to this point. He just had that much faith. And he trusted that God would take care of Isaac. Speaking of Isaac, he had a lot of faith as well. He had faith in his father to say, yeah, the, the Lord will provide the sacrifice. 
But he also agreed, like Jesus did, to be sacrificed. It doesn't say it, but it's obvious, right? Because Isaac is a young man by this time, and his dad is a hundred years older than he is. I'm pretty sure Isaac could take him, you know? (laughs) It's just he could. I mean, if he's strong enough to carry the wood on his back up the mountain, he certainly could have resisted his dad tying him up and putting him on the altar, right? But he didn't. He trusted his father's plan. In Matthew 26, Jesus does not want to become the sacrifice. He knows what it's going to cost him physically, but especially the separation of God from God. He doesn't want to go through that experience. And yet, he trusts his father. He, he could have called angels to come and destroy things. He could have just spoken, taken care of it himself. But he didn't. Because he loves us too much. Even though he knew there would be no last minute reprieve like there was for Isaac, he still said yes. Also, both Isaac and Jesus carried the wood for their sacrifice. We, we already saw that in the story where Isaac carries the, the, the wood on his back up a hill in the region of Moriah. And centuries later, Jesus would carry on his back a cross made of wood up the hill to his crucifixion. In John 19, it says, Pilate handed Jesus over to them to be crucified, so the soldiers took charge of him. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. See, the story is different at this point. Isaac was only a potential sacrifice, but Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. After Abraham put his faith into action with this story, that's where God says to him, all nations are going to be blessed through you. And that very willingness that Abraham had at that point points to the sacrifice that Jesus would make on our behalf. That's how all nations will be blessed, because of the birth and the life and the death and the burial and resurrection of Jesus. And what God would not allow Abraham to do to his son, God did himself. Isaac's life was spared, but Jesus' life was not spared. And that hill where Abraham and Isaac walked up, the region of Moriah, later a town would develop in that very area. It's called Jerusalem. And Jesus, on a hill, walked and was the sacrifice for us in that very same area. See, for the offering... God did not provide a ram in the case of Jesus. He provided a lamb, the lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. And God planned that from before creation, before Adam and Eve, before the earth. God knew it was going to happen. God knew what it was going to cost. And God was willing to make that sacrifice because he loves us that much. 
On November 9th each year, there's a day, it's called World Adoption Day, and it's a day to raise awareness and to celebrate bringing children into forever families. And Jesus, the beloved, innocent Son of God, gave his life so we could be adopted as sons and daughters into God's family forever. And we're going to celebrate that right now as we share in communion. And afterwards, I'll come back and we'll make a few additional applications to our lives. But right now, we pause and we remember and we give thanks and we pray. Dear God, for the sacrifice of Jesus and for the love it took to allow that to happen, we give you thanks. We're grateful to rest in the shadow of your wings. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. If you're a follower of Jesus, as the bread and the cup are passed, please take them and celebrate and remember what God has done for you. Three major faiths trace their roots back to Abraham. Judaism, Islam, and Christianity. But they are not the same. In Acts chapter 4, it tells us there is only one name under heaven by which we can be saved, and that is Jesus. And in John 14, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And as we think about what we just celebrated, we all have to come to a a point in our lives to answer the most important question of our faith, which is, do I really believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And every person on the planet needs to answer that question, which means every person needs to have the opportunity to hear the question. But when we answer that with a yes, when we say, yes, I do believe that, then we're ready for three additional questions that we'll go through quickly that are related to today's teaching. Three faith questions. First, does my faith act or does it only talk? Abraham believed God, and then he put his belief into action. He said yes, and he moved. And he said yes, and he was ready to sacrifice his son. Faith is only as authentic as our action. James, the half-brother of Jesus, tells us that when he says, faith without action is dead. I wanted to share a story that some of you have probably heard. There was a guy named Blondin. He was really famous for um, his tightrope act, and especially the one that he would do uh, between the two sides of the falls in Niagara Falls. So he would string a wire from the U.S. to Canada and walk across, and he did this dozens of times. There were over 100,000 people that would come and see him in one spectacular event, and uh, the President of the United States went to see him. I mean, he was a showman. He got all of this, and he did some crazy things. You can read about it, some funny stuff. But I wanted to share the story about the wheelbarrow, and some of you know this, but so he gets a wheelbarrow, and he puts it on the on the wire, and he says, do you believe I can walk from this side to the other one and not drop the wheelbarrow? And they're like, we believe, and he goes, cool, so he does it, and he goes, how many of you think I could do that again? We believe, and so he does, so, you know, got people on both sides now, they're all saying, we believe, so he goes all the way back with the wheelbarrow, pushing it across, 
And then he says, how many of you believe I could put somebody in the wheelbarrow and walk across and get to the other side safely? We believe! Cool, who's getting in? Crickets. Literally nobody says yes. And I was like, I need to tell that story because that's like an awesome illustration of the faith that we should have but often don't. And it's true. But you know what I found out? As I was doing some Blondin research this week, there was a guy who did put his life in Blondin's hands on the wire. And check, out, check this out. The guy's name is Harry Colcord. He got on the back of Blondin and walked, or he didn't walk, he hung, <laughs> while Blondin walked across the wire. And listen to what Blondin said to him. He said, Harry, you are no longer Colcord, you are Blondin. Be part of me, mind, body, and soul. Don't try to do this yourself. What? Isn't that awesome? I mean, that is exactly how we need to be in our relationship with God. We need to, to have faith in God to that level. We need to love God intellectually, physically, spiritually. Jesus talked about that. To become one with God and just trust everything to him. And when I see a picture like that, I have to say, man, do I really trust God that much or is it more just we believe, we believe? Question two, what's hard for me to offer to God in faith? Parents, I, I, I'm confident, 100% confident that God is not asking you to sacrifice your children I do believe that God wants you to trust his plan for your child more than you trust your own. And parents, we can get in God's way all the time with our kids. Just like Abraham and Sarah did, messing up God's plans. And I would encourage you, if you're a parent and you have a child, no matter what age your child is, to go back and listen to the message from October 14th when Cindy and Jordan and Jim talked about what we as parents are obligated to do in faith with our children. But it's, it can be things besides children, right? It can be our careers. Do we really trust God with those? Do we trust God with our schooling, with our finances, with our relationships, with our health, with our future? There, there are a thousand different choices where we need to have faith. If it's hard for you to, to truly give something completely to God in faith, just ask him to help you increase it and, and talk to somebody in your life group or your discipleship group about that and let them come alongside you and encourage you in that. Question three, do I have faith that God can do great, great things in and through my life? I think for some of us, this is the hardest question. Because we believe God can do great things in and through someone else's life, but when it comes to my own life, it's a little more challenging. But we have to get to the place where we understand what this says. Our role is to have faith in God. Our role is to have faith in God. And God's role is to do great things. When God talked to Abraham, listen to what he said, Genesis 12. 
I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Not by you, Abraham, through you, Abraham. God is the one who does it. Romans chapter 4, the scriptures tell us Abraham believed God and counted, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. When people work, their wages are not a gift, but something they have earned. But people are counted as righteous, not because of their work, but because of their faith in God. We don't make ourselves right with God by what we do, but by our faith. God is the one who does it. We believe it, God does it. And that's not all God does. Right now, I would like for you to imagine, seriously, and you might need to close your eyes because you're distracted. I understand. I'm that way myself. Think of something that you want God to do that would be amazing in your life. Just think of it right now. Now, we need to understand that God may or may not make that exact thing you're thinking of right now happen. But God is able to do way more than whatever it is you just imagined. And you don't have to take my word for it. We're talking about the word of God. Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. To him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Right? I think part of our hesitation is that we think oh man, everybody else has it together. I mean, especially those people in the Bible, like they were fully devoted to God. Hebrews 11 lists people who placed their faith in God and God did some amazing things in their lives, through their lives. But can I be really honest with you? And the reason we know this is because the Bible's really honest with us. Those people had some messed up stuff going on. Seriously. They had some messed up issues going on in their lives. So, for example, people that are listed in that chapter. Noah, he got drunk and he he got naked shortly after he came out of the ark. Abraham, not trusting that God would take care of the situation, lied about Sarah, said that it wasn't his wife, it was his sister, and gave her to two different guys to sleep with. They didn't, but that's what Abraham was going to do. Jacob cheated his brother out of an inheritance. Moses murdered an Egyptian and was never brought to account for it. Rahab was a prostitute. David had an affair and had his mistress's husband killed. Now, obviously, the point isn't, oh, cool, then I can do anything I want. No, it's not to excuse our bad behavior. It's to recognize that God can do anything through anyone. And you need to understand that for your own life. Do you believe that for you? King Henry III of Bavaria, he was, he was tired of being the king. There's a lot of pressure. So he made an application to Prior Richard at a local monastery, and he said, I just want to spend the rest of my life in the monastery. Your Majesty, said Prior Richard, do you understand that the pledge here is one of obedience? That's going to be hard for you because you have been a king. I understand, said Henry. The rest of my life I will be obedient to you as Christ leads you. Then here's what you are to do, said Prior Richard. Go back to your throne, 
and serve faithfully in the place God has put you. Serve faithfully in the place God has put you is something all of us need to hear. Because you are where you are for a reason. God has placed you there. God can work in that situation. The message is for you. God can do great things in your life and through your life, wherever you are, wherever he leads you. And if the idea of that honestly brings a little bit of a chuckle of doubt like it did to Sarah, then look forward in faith to the day when that chuckle becomes a laughter of joy because God has birthed something out of you that was completely impossible for you to do on your own. God has placed us in relational community together as a church intentionally and he's given us a mission to love him with all our heart, soul, mind and strength and to love our neighbor as ourselves, and to impact the world for him. And he's given us a way to do that as we reach people. We love them wherever they are and then we imitate Jesus together moving closer to him and then we duplicate that process over and over. Do you remember what it said in The scriptures we read earlier, Genesis 18, is anything impossible for God? Luke chapter 1, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Jesus himself confirmed this in Matthew chapter 19 when he said, with people, it's not possible. But with God, all things are possible. Church, we need to come to God and say, God, would you increase our faith? Would you make our mini frying pan bigger? so that we can receive from you what you're wanting us to do, who you're wanting us to become, so that people can be reached for you. God, would you increase our faith? Let's pray. God of the impossible, we place our faith in you, and we ask you to increase our faith from small to medium to large to extra large. Guide us in the next steps, whatever those are, as we follow you with passion and in, with joy. And we'll keep trusting you and looking forward to what you do. Through Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing.